What's up, everybody? Welcome into Living Off the Land. This is episode 249. You did not hear the crack of a beer. I do have one, but it's because uh, we had a little mic snafu when we did our first intro to this episode. Uh, I'm your host, Dan. I said Steve in the original. I am joined by co-host Steven. Steven, it's Wednesday night. And you know what that means? It means that we had a much, much better open, but we had we ended up losing it. So this one's kind of lame. But blame me. Yeah, you know, we're blame me. But we're here, you know. And you we know, got. I'm just, I'm just a little rusty from you know from our All Star break when we took last week off. Yeah, we had literally nothing to talk about last week, so we just said, eh. <laughs> so, you know, this this would have been episode 250, but instead it's only episode 249. 249. Yep. Episode 250 of the uh, milestone episode 250 of this podcast will be next week. Uh, we are still working on some details. We're hoping to maybe get a guest or two on the show mm-hmm. and make things really fun. Uh, but tonight, we are getting back in the swing of things. And I just got to say that tonight, or today, is a very special uh, day. Can you tell me what that is, Steve? First of March. Ah, yes, it is the 1st of March. Yeah, goodbye, February. Goodbye, your crazy up-down weather. I mean, granted, that was that's better than consistent cold. Uh, your crazy germs that have just ravaged my family for the last four weeks. Yeah, I don't need you anymore. So today is the 1st of March. Numerically, what day is that? Numerically, that would be day number 60. Well, uh, like like month, month and day. Oh, 3-1-23? It is... Three one day. It's 3-1 day, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody should be celebrating in the city of Cleveland because it wasn't on this day, but we celebrate today the fact that the Cavaliers came back from a 3-1 deficit. No need to mention that the Indians blew a 3-1 deficit later in that same year. We didn't even have to bring that up. Come on. I thought you were going to. But anyway, anyway, we will focus on the positive. In 2016, my God, we are coming up on seven years ago? years ago how in the world unbelievable seven years ago we are coming up on uh the anniversary of this championship it's not today but today is symbolic in the fact that it's the third month of the year the first day of that month it is three one like this would be link going into the temple of time and like he'd be almost ready to come out at this point yeah, right like seven years like come on really it's anybody, been that long if anybody gets that that <laughs> reference like us two you're nerds but anyway <laughs> 
Uh, what do you remember most about? Uh, obviously, you were at the watch party at the arena with yes, your family, sir. and you yes, had, I was. you have obviously documented on this podcast. You have a very special tie in with this organization, um, especially at that time. Not so much now because you know, uh, but I think I feel like we all have that special tie to the to organization. But uh, talk about your experiences on on that day, Game Seven. Uh, I gotta tell you, you know, we come in and you know we're we're sitting in section C one oh nine, and what you have to understand is this was only about a month ahead of the Republican National Convention. That's actually that's a that's so, a club level section you, for all you non bougeers out there. So you had the whole floor was actually taken up at this point. Yeah. Uh, they had already started to build the platform the set, where they were yeah. gonna have the big stage. So like some of the lower sections, like section one oh eight, one oh nine, were. Or actually, no, 123, 124 on the other side were already taken out. But the whole rest of the arena was there, uh, as it normally was. And the place was – the energy was – it was interesting going into this because, you know, you did have it amongst a lot of the older folks that who were thinking, okay, no, we're still not going to get this done. But I feel like amongst a lot of the middle-aged and younger generation, there was this feeling of, yeah, this very well could happen. It's like – most folks thought we were—we were down three-one. That we were just going to lose in Game Five in Oakland, and instead we won that one convincingly, and won Game Six almost as convincingly. So we were thinking, "Hang on a minute," you know. So there was that kind of feeling, and the fact that the game—I think there was a point in the second quarter where the Warriors got up by like seven or eight, but other than that, the game was nip and tuck pretty much the entire. Time. The fact that the Cavaliers turned yeah. that back and were only down by like two at halftime, if I recall, yeah, you know, it really had a feel of. No, this I is on it, a knife edge. It was a, it was, a, it was like a seven, eight point game at halftime. Mm. J.R. Smith, or right, right at halftime. Yeah, J.R. Smith, right out of halftime, hit like two threes and a jumper, and it like gave us the lead or something like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So it really was a situation where no, you couldn't even talk barely. Oh my like, god, you, you, you were just l- like everybody was just so breathe. intense, like. You know, because there's always this element of people who are like they're at the game, but they're not really there to watch the game. There was none of that going on. I mean, my goodness gracious. It was just like yeah. we were living and dying on practically every basket. Oh, hell yeah. You know, you don't get that in the NBA very often. It's it's like, yeah, I'm kind of watching it, but, like, we know it's going to come down the last few minutes, so, like, who cares? But, like, oh, my goodness. So you get down to it. And mm-hmm. it was the weirdest ending to a game you're ever likely to see. It gets tied at 89 with like four or four and a half minutes to go. And then you had this really weird sequence where the Warriors would chuck up a three. They would miss. The Cavs, most yeah. of the time, were going for twos, oddly enough. And yeah. they were getting actually some decent looks. They were just not making them. And you're just thinking to yourself, what is going on here? All of a sudden, nobody can pick a basket. It was almost like... The pressure was just getting to both teams to yeah. a certain extent, and then and it just seemed like everybody on both teams were exhausted. Yeah, well, clearly, because this was a game where like there's nobody was lollygagging up and down the floor. No. I mean, this this was life or death. Like there is no tomorrow here, and so you're just feeding off of this energy. And I I am I got as Ty Lue calls timeout with like a minute and five left or so, and right before I'm the just, Kyrie shot, I'm just I'm holding on to. My mother, Mary Beth, who, you know, at this point was 29 years in with this organization. Yeah. 
And so this is I really... I mean, when you talk about literal highs and, and the depths of lows, I mean, she's been through it. And she doesn't allow herself to get consumed by it because it's her work. She doesn't, like, allow herself to be a fan, really. Yeah. All that went out the window on, yeah. on this day, really through a bunch of the playoffs. But on this night, it was all out the window. I was seeing emotion out of her like I never see it. Yeah. Hardly. And, like, she's, like, got her face buried into the into her knees practically. And I'm, I'm holding on to her. Matthew's holding on to her, my brother. My dad is with, with us, too, and he's just, like, kind of standing. He's got his hands on his head. <laughs> you know, I, the only other time I'd really seen that was during Super Bowl 52 uh, when the Eagles played the Patriots. But uh, it's just – it's crazy. <clears throat> Kyrie hits that shot, and people go nuts. Everybody's going berserk. But then what was even bigger than that was when the Warriors came down the other way and Kevin Love checks Steph Curry and forces him to miss yep. and the Cavs get the rebound. People talk about people talk a, about the block, it was the a, three, but don't you dare forget about the D. It was after that stop and the Cavs got the rebound and then there was a play where Kyrie ran underneath the basket, he threw it back out, and then they called timeout again. It, actually, no, there was a foul committed. And that was actually a dumb foul by the Warriors because they were actually under 14 seconds on the shot clock. Yep. And it was at that point. If, if you watch a replay of that game and you see when Harrison Barnes commits that foul, Steve Kerr throws his arms in the air. It's like, what the hell have you just do? Yeah. Uh, so that ended up being like uh, only a few seconds difference between shot and game clock. It was at that point people were really it sunk in. Oh, my goodness. We're going to do this. We are going to do this. Yeah. And really the only thing that was missing out of this whole thing was when LeBron went up for that dunk on Dwayne Brown. Oh, Green and, my God. And the fact that it, it didn't go in. You talk about that something that would have been. That was the biggest dunk in basketball history right. if that goes down. Yes. Oh, my word. Yes. Yes. As it was, he still makes the free throw, which was good enough. Missed the yeah. first. Oh, my God. Was I, <laughs> Oh, my God. Look crap my pants. And the second one. Second one, he had to rattle it was home. A rattler. He, that was not pure. So it's like that when it you could tell LeBron's reaction was just like, "Oh my God, we made it. Okay, we got to get one stop. That's it." Yeah, it's just crazy. So I actually have another thing uh, to play uh, with talking about the um, the ending of that game. See, tell me if you tell me if you recognize this. I want to get one specific piece. That was it right there. That was it right there. Your that's that's I found that on Matthew's Facebook when he <laughs> he's taking a video of the final buzzer going off and he 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 pans over to your dad. Your dad's waving the Cavs flag and he you know he's panning the crowd. This is before he was able to get footage of your mom, you and your mom actually, um, and he just goes, "We did it! We fucking did it! Yeah!" <laughs> It's one he, of my favorite things ever. He's totally spazzing out. My dad is delirious. Oh, doesn't yeah. know what to say. He's yeah. just like kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I can't believe this. My mother is literally crying. Yep. Like the emotion is completely overcoming her to the opposite way. Like crying because it's so beautiful. Yeah. You yeah. know. I mean, you think about, and again, you, you talked about uh, 29. And again, your mom worked on the business side. So. Uh, but she was still obviously part of the team. She worked there for 29 years. So, so them winning that championship, it's very much like she won the championship. Life's you know? work. Yeah, really. 29 years I led mean, to that. Led to that moment. How many people li- are at their 
job for 29 years, period. Right, same job. And then on top of that, like you reach the pinnacle of what you do literally after all that time. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And then you guys ended up uh, spilling out into the streets of downtown Cleveland after? We did. And we walked down East 4th. We walked down Euclid. Uh, I we I so uh, I'll, I'll tell my story uh, in a few minutes, but I literally they shut down the city of Cleveland. You couldn't get in at a certain point. You could no, not you, drive no, you into. I could even if I wanted to. I was in Strongsville at my parents' house watching the game with my my parents and my brothers. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you could. They literally shut down the city from the outside. Yeah, by the time we got there, they had they had blocked off all the highway entranceways off of ninety and seventy seven and seventy one. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine that Lorraine Carnegie Bridge and Detroit Superior Bridge were probably shut down also. Yep. I, we didn't go over there, but I would imagine. Yep. Uh, <coughs> yeah. Fort 14 coming in probably as yeah. well. Oh, coming from the other direction. Yeah. Yeah, um, so. yeah it was crazy. Um, I had I had a much more tame experience, but still pretty, pretty well emotional. Um, we watched the game at my parents' house. And uh, just like you were talking about the the older generation, you know, when the Warriors took that lead in the second quarter, my dad was like, "Ah, it's over." I, I just know it; it's over. Uh, and ha- listen, he's got, I wouldn't have blamed him. Listen, either. he's got a lifetime of heartache from all three teams in this city. So, in the moment, it really pissed me off because I'm like, "Will you stop it? Like, this, could, <laughs> like this, this could be the greatest sports moment of our lives, and you're just over here saying that it's over." But again, can't really I can't really blame him for thinking that. He's got a lifetime of heartache. Um well documented in Cleveland uh, sports lore. Just but. 3 years prior, I actually got kicked out of your house one night because he and I were coming to blows during game 6 of the 2013 NBA Finals <laughs> when the Heat had that ridiculous comeback to deny the Spurs the title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. it's it's uh I mean, it was amazing. I, I think I've I, we've told the, I've told this story on on the podcast before, but um, just being able to spend that time with my brothers and my dad, and you know, my mom was there too, but I, she cares. But you know, she wasn't like sitting in the room, like on the edge of her seat, watching it with us. But um, she obviously was excited and celebrated too, and um, when we won. But uh, just being able to be there and celebrate that uh, with my dad. Um, who literally was born the year Cleveland had last won a title, um, 1964. So, so on some level, he, he was, never saw. A he title. was probably thinking to himself, like, "I'm part of the curse somehow." Yeah, right. Well, yeah. I, I always joke with him that he was, uh, because when he was born, they didn't win anything since. So, hmm. um, but yeah, uh, that was that was incredibly special. Uh, you know. We did, we did, you know, when the final buzzer uh, sounded, we all jumped on my dad, celebrated and everything, and on the couch. I'm surprised we didn't break the couch. <laughs> um, yeah, and we just, you know, had a toast after. I didn't go to sleep that night. Went to work the next day. I don't know how. How? I don't know how, but I did not sleep. But it, it was just amazing. Uh, you know, to win the championship, number one, and then to win it the way that we did it, coming back from three one down, I, something you'll you'll never forget. And and it's and there is an interesting thing that Brian Winhorst always says about the twenty sixteen title, is that it's like a fine wine; it just ages better. It just gets better with age. I mean, just, I mean, if you look at you the optics think about of it, it, 
Yeah. You know, you are up against one of the greatest dynasties in NBA history yeah. in the midst of their greatest nine. season. I mean, really, that should not have been possible, what they did. And they were down three games to one as well. Like, yeah. how in the world? It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Um, my my favorite sports moment of my life. Um, we don't really have too many to go on, but <laughs> when it comes to winning winning things, I mean, I, outright winning the title. No, I mean the other the other thing. Yeah, the other thing that I have is winning the World Cup in in two thousand. I was just gonna bring that up because the happiest I've ever seen your household was when Italy defeated France <laughs> in the two thousand six yeah. World Cup final. Yeah. So I was obviously I was not there in 2016. I mean, was it any different for this as opposed to 2006 or? Well, two, I mean, 2006 we had like 30 people over my parents' house. The, mm. 2016 was just me, my brothers, and my parents. Mm. So, uh, I, I think 2006 for me was more. 2016 was more emotional from like a. Like, a, okay, we've poured every single season, every year into these teams. And, you know, World Cup is great. It's awesome. And it's awesome that my Italian heritage, my, you know, country of ethnic, ethnicity, my country of uh, heritage, uh, you know, won the whole tournament. But I live in America. I don't live in Italy. Um, you know, I don't. If maybe if I lived in if I grew up and I lived in Rome and Italy won the World Cup, yeah, it probably would mean more. But you definitely wouldn't have slept that night either. No, <laughs> I don't think I did sleep in '06. I mean, we were home from we were home from college in, in the summer after I'm, our freshman year of college. I'm just saying that based on the fact that I was in <coughs> outside of Madrid oh, when, yeah, when no, I, Spain yeah. won the 2008 Euro, and they, you know people Nobody were losing will... their minds over that. That moment actually gave me an idea of what Cleveland might be like when we actually did end the title curse, and it and it it even beat my expectations. Actually, That's amazing. when it's, when you consider it's so the cool immediate night afterward, and then the t the parade a few days later. So cool to think about. One point so. three million people at the parade. That's literally the that's entire just, population of Cuyahoga County. That's just, a, and that's just an estimation too. I, I, I'd be willing to bet that there were more. Yeah. Uh, because how do you? I how wouldn't do you, doubt you, it because I've never seen so many people just standing, ten, fifteen, twenty deep on the side of the road, and people literally like wedging themselves in between the concrete pillars of the parking garage, like three and four and five stories up. Yeah. Like this is insane shit. Like who would do that? Like this because people just want to see the parade that badly. Like I mean that they were like literally like risking life and limb practically. I don't yeah. we'll ever see anything like that ever again. Yeah, I mean uh, that's 100% right. Um so yeah, it's great. So today's 3-1 day. Well, you're probably listening to this on March 2nd or beyond. So 3-1 day. We celebrate coming back from 3-1 to win the city's first championship in over 50 years. Hmm. So that is that. That was a nice little tangent to go by. Uh, I just realized as I'm finishing the beer of the week <laughs> that I didn't even say what the beer of the week is. So let's go ahead and do that right now. Beer of the week this week is from a local Medina brewery uh, called Loggerheads Brewing Company. And I am drinking their hazy New England IPA called Prism. 
Hmm. And aptly named with the can art, which you will see uh, if you go over to our Instagram page. Lots and lots of triangles. Yes. Uh, let's see. Prism Hazy IPA is opaque in color and extremely juicy. We double dry hopped this beer with an insane amount of Citra, Citra Cryo, and Mosaic hops, which provides a hop profile of orange, pineapple, and peach. We used a metric ton of flaked oats and malted wheat to provide an ultra-pillowy ultra mouthfeel. That's interesting. Fermented with Omega 052. So, this is as hazy as a hazy IPA can get. Uh, I agree, very juicy. Um, it is 6.5% ABV, and the... IBUs aren't listed. I don't know exactly what that is, how much there are. But uh, Loggerheads is located in three, 325 West Smith Road in Medina, Ohio. And uh, it is located just southwest of the Medina Square. Um, that is a really neat neighborhood. The square? The Medina Square is yeah. great. And then you've got a whole bunch of, you know, near neighborhoods, <laughs> near businesses, particularly on that you know, Western corridor where uh, 57 and 18 kind of come in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, that is really neat. You know, so, been to Medina. We, I mean, we've covered it on this podcast, but you've not been to Medina of recent. You really ought to check it out. Yeah. So Prism Hazy IPA has a 3.95 rating on untapped out of 232 ratings. Uh, I, it's, it's a it's a very solid hazy IPA. If you like hazy IPAs, you're going to love Prism. Um, so that is about it, what I have on that. And I'm going to give this a 6.8 rating. 6.8. 6.8 on the, on the beer scale. And uh, that is the beer of the week. All right. So... We started this show with basketball. I'm actually going to pivot a little bit here. Uh, with the turning of the calendar to March, the I mean, well, you got two things that are prominent in the sports calendar now. One is that we're only a few weeks away from the college basketball championship, March Madness. Ah, yes. But we are also upon the beginning of spring training for baseball. And... So with that in mind, we're going to go to a community where perhaps more so than just about anywhere in Northeast Ohio, baseball is the historical sporting king, basically. Hmm. And if you consider the region, you consider where, you know, some of the, the top, well, if you look at, let's look at football, let's say, you know, top cities for high school football, places like Menor, Solon, uh, Cleveland, Glenville, uh, and then a little further out, you're, you look at places like Canton and Maslin, which are, you know, where basically football was invented. Uh, but this community is basically the Maslin or Canton for baseball in Northeast Ohio. We're heading down to Summit County, just a little bit east of Akron. Uh, we're going to talk about the city of Talmadge mm. tonight. Talmadge, and I'll just, uh, with going with the baseball link, Talmadge High School Baseball has won four OHSAA state championships. Their most recent title was in 2017, uh, also 2002, 1993, and 1988. And in softball, they are actually even more dominant, believe it or not, uh, winning seven state championships, uh, the most recent one in 2014. So this is a 
this is a community that really has been raised on this stuff and uh, just kind of exudes it. Talmadge is on the immediate east end of the Akron, or immediate northeast side of Akron, uh, almost sandwiched in between two major parks in the area, the the Talmadge Meadows Area Metro Park in the north and the Goodyear Heights Metro Park in the south. And then just kind of in between, it's mostly residential for the most part, although you have two main commercial corridors, one along Route 261 West or and or East Avenue, depending on which side of Route 91 you're on. And then Route 91, which is Darrow Road, goes directly north-south through the, through the city. The average home price in Talmadge is about $285,000, which is which is nice, sort of bordering on Bougie, depending on what part of the city you're in. But what's interesting about it is that the year-over, according to Realtor.com, the year-over-year price increase for houses from 2020 to 2022 in Talmadge was 28.6%. Hmm. That is wow. massive, <clears throat> which indicates that this is one of the fastest-growing communities in Northeast Ohio, certainly one of the most... Um, one of the most desirable that people are wanting to get into. And again, if you look again, look at the geog- the geography here. The Cuyahoga River borders it in the north. Britain Road borders it in the west. Uh, that's the border with Akron. In the south, it runs along Eastwood Avenue and I-76. And then in the east, it doesn't run along any road, but it's between Sunnybrook Road and Monroe Road for the most part. And I should point out that the Talmadge Meadows Area Metro Park, which is the park along the Cuyahoga River in the north, the Summit County Fairgrounds are right against there as well, uh, just off of Howe Avenue and uh, Darrow Road right there on the north end of town. Summit County Fair, I've, I've, you know, I don't really, I'm not a fair guy, and it's kind of unfortunate because there's so many great, like, you know, when you talk about the late part of the summer, all the, all the low various county fairs and even the state fair in Columbus, I've never been to, but, like, they're so fun. I really ought to go to a few this summer when it comes around. And the Summit County Fair might be one that I look at. Um, How about at the Cuyahoga County Fair? You know, Berea, <laughs> Middleburg. You know, there's, you know, segue away. It, I don't there, know. I don't isn't know there about a huge, some, huge fair at like Canfield. Canfield would be Mahoning County. Yeah, I believe. So yes, um, we've not Canfield. If you don't know, is actually a little ways east, west of Youngstown, actually. Mm-hmm. Which actually is, if you just go straight out I seventy six from the Talmadge area, you'll actually get out close to there. Um, but but bringing it back in, if I, it, what's interesting here is that um, there are two really highly Mexican rated Mexican restaurants right in the center of Talmadge, Trace Portrios and. The oh boy, I just lost the other one. La Mexicana Cantina. Delaney's Gastro Bar is a is a pretty highly rated gastro bar that's right on the other side of that. That's right along West Avenue. Crimson Cup Coffee is the main coffee shop at the center of town. That's on Darrow Road, just near the the main traffic circle. Just trying to find out a few more local businesses here, but those are some of the more prominently highly rated ones. Uh. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much you know quiet suburban type of of living out there, you know that's and then you know just a you know I've not really spent too much time there, but it looks like the the main you have a main traffic circle and then it's just a lot of greenery inside of it, kind of like a you know what you might see in a community like Strongsville or Berea in terms of their downtown, but mm-hmm. uh, you know it's 
It's definitely a place that people want to get to. Yeah. Um, a little out, not even out of the way, really. I mean, just right up against Akron. So, you know, you'd expect, in, when you look at Cleveland area, most of the desirable suburbs are, like, a little bit further away from Cleveland, maybe with the exception of Lakewood and Cleveland Heights, which both directly border Cleveland. You don't have a whole lot of, like, super desirable communities that, that directly border Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But in Akron area, that's a little different. Like, Talmadge borders it directly. Bath Township, which we haven't talked about on this, pod chat, on this podcast, that's really bougie territory, and that directly borders Akron as well. So it's it's not as big of a metro area, so it kind of makes sense when you think about it. But anyway, that's Talmadge, and you can wham with the right hand. All right. Sounds good. Um, let's talk about, well, I mean, the segment is called The Week That Was with the Cavaliers. But we, we were off last week, and then it was the All-Star break. So They did play three games this week, actually, within a four-day period. They did. And going back, so the Cavs were on, actually were on a three-game losing streak. If you go back before the All-Star break, they lost their last game before the break in Philadelphia. They didn't even show up for that game. They just were completely disinterested. And then apparently. they lost a tough one at home coming out of the All Star break against Denver, who's the West number one seed. And then they got absolutely mollywopped the the very next day uh, in Atlanta. Uh, they came back and they won a uh, they had a nice win on Sunday uh, against the Toronto Raptors. Finally, a team that, a team that finally, yeah, a team that has really given the Cavs fits over the last year and a half. Um, but they spanked them pretty good. Uh, that was good to see. And then tonight, uh, in a game that probably has just or is just about to tip off, the Cavaliers are in Boston at the Garden to take on the East number one seed, the Boston Celtics. Yeah, you compare this with teams like Toronto and Atlanta's another team. I don't know why the Cavs have so much trouble with the Hawks, yeah. but they do. It seems like every time we go to Atlanta, we lose. Uh, yeah. But be that as may, Cavaliers are two and zero against Boston this season. I, that's partly why I think the Cavs are going to get beat up tonight. But we will see about that. Yeah, I mean those two, those first two games came incredibly early in the season. Yeah, one was in October, and then the other yeah. was I think in early November. Both so it's were been at a while home. since we played. No, actually, the oh, first no, one was right. at Boston. That's right. That's right. My bad. Um. Cavs' longest winning streak of the season was right after their season-opening loss against the Raptors. They won eight straight. In fact, two of those were against Boston. Yeah, uh, and five of those were without Darius Garland, which was which was interesting. Um, hey, but, go figure that. Yeah, but the Cavaliers are literally one hundred percent healthy. Even Dylan Windler's healthy, but he is not with the team right now. He is with the Cleveland Charge of the G League. The Cavs have no injuries to report. They are 100% healthy, at least from an injury standpoint. I'm sure some guys are fighting through some, you know, some bumps and bruises. But uh, I I want to disagree with you, but I think you're 100% right. I think the Cavs are going to get spanked tonight. Yeah, before we went on the air, I pretty much said that the Cavs would be railed out of Boston tonight. Um, Hell, pause. Yeah, they'd, they'd be taking the T. If you know what I mean. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hello. Hey, that's the trade. What are you thinking? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what T would, would infer. But anyway, uh, Boston Tea Party, I don't know. Um, no, that's true. I could have been talking about it. Yeah, I, I, uh, 
I agree with you. I would be shocked. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, that game's probably already taken place, so we could be incredibly pro- prophetic, which would be unfortunate. Or we could sound like complete and utter morons. Completely right wrong, now. which would be awesome. Which would be great. We three and zero against the Celtics this um, year. So yeah, I don't have very much faith, and uh, there, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, a, the Cavs have not been good against good uh, competition as of late. Um, you know, just talking about the Philly game, the Denver game. Um, Denver the, game was really a shame. It was a two point game going into the fourth quarter, and it yeah. was one of those games where. You know, we've been critical of the Cavs in late-game situations at times, and it, this really was a game where if they just made a few more plays, they would have won that game. And well, uh, that game was completely on, completely on the shoulders of J.B. Bickerstaff. The, the Cavs started the fourth quarter. They were down a few points, and Donovan Mitchell went on his own personal 7-0 run, and then he, and then he got taken out of the game. I don't know what yeah, happened. like, what the hell? I don't know what happened. I, I don't get it. And then he brought him back in with like four minutes left, and by then the Nuggets had already taken the lead back, and you know never relinquished it. So I don't understand the thought process of taking your best player out of the game in the middle of the fourth quarter. He was not in foul trouble. He was not injured. I, he wasn't even tired. I mean, he was. He was. That he, would have been my first suspicion that maybe he like picked up a fifth foul or something. No, he was not in foul out. trouble. He was not like, in foul trouble. I listen. It's okay to criticize decision-making without wanting the guy fired. So here's what I'm going to say. Is I'm going to criticize J.B. Bickerstaff, but I don't want him fired. So many times in this, in this era of sports talk media, and you know we do a podcast about Cleveland sports. Everybody's got a podcast, you know, ourselves included. When it's, it's so much like one end of the spectrum to the under, other end of the spectrum. You know, the Cavs go on a, a seven-game winning streak, and everybody thinks everything's everything's hunky-dory, everything's patched up, everything's great. They lose three in a row, and, and you say one bad thing, and people think that you're saying that you want the coach fired. That's not true. You can criticize somebody in the realm of sports and not want them to lose their job. I don't want J.B. Bickerstaff to be fired. But he's made a decent amount of very questionable rotation decisions, uh, replay decisions. I mean, the other night against Denver, was it Denver or wasn't Atlanta? I think it was De- – no, maybe it was – no, it was Toronto, actually. He reviewed a play that thought it wasn't an offensive foul. It was called an offensive foul on the floor, and then the replay, it got upgraded to a flagrant. That's crazy. And and uh, newsflash – to JB, it was. Donovan Mitchell need a guy in the groin when he was going up for a layup. That's a flagrant foul. He didn't do it on purpose, but it's a flagrant foul. You can't knee somebody in the junk when you're going up for a layup to try and create space. Again, he wasn't Draymond Greening Steve Adams in the playoffs from six, seven years ago when you know he deliberately kicked Steven Adams right in the dick. 2016. But... He led. He, he went up for a layup. He led with his knee, and he hit the guy in the groin. I I don't know why JB thought that was worth challenging. I have no idea. Maybe he's getting bad advice from his assistant coaches. I don't know, but they've made some. He's made some very interesting replay decisions. A lot of times, JB will challenge a play early in the game, and whether he gets it right or not, he loses the ability to challenge. Maybe a a game-deciding play late in the game. Because the NBA 
if you get the challenge right, you don't get your challenge back. You get one challenge per one coach's challenge per game. Hmm. So I think that's wrong. Quite it frankly. is, but I, it is, but I think it 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 helps disincentivize coaches from doing it like early in the game. And like, okay, we're going to challenge on something that might actually matter late in the game, late game mm-hmm. situation. Because if if you mess up like if you mess up a call early in the game that that uh, you know costs you two points or whatever, like there's ample time to make that up. Like that that's not something that's going to decide a game. If it happens with two minutes left in the game, yeah, that's going to decide the game. A la that in the 2018 finals in game one where they decided to overturn a uh, block call into a charge where LeBron uh, originally was called a block on Kevin Durant and LeBron went to the free throw line and then they reviewed it and said it was a charge. There's a, there's a podcast. There's a podcast from about five years ago of just me railing the officiating game one of the 2018 finals by myself. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, so how important is the game tonight for the Cavs? I don't. In the grand scheme of things. I don't consider it to be that important. No. You know, you do, especially because you turn around and you play Boston again this coming Monday. Does it have, does it have any bearing (laughs) on what might happen in the playoffs? Say if the Cavs and the Celtics meet up in the second round. I suppose if you win both of these games and you sweep the and Celtics. you sweep the season series, yeah, that might possibly give you a decent, if not physical advantage, then a psychological advantage, maybe. Um, I think more so than anything else, it, it, it would give the Cavs more. I don't know if I don't know if it would show like, that you belong. That you can, you know, there's well, I don't nothing know if that would... says that you, you know, this team's just gonna beat you up when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if it uh, does anything to the psyche of the Celtics. I think it would do. It would mean a little bit to the Cavs as far as far as the. Confidence. Yeah, I mean the Celtics have been to the finals, so like Cause, they, they're, cause they're again, not going to be phased. Because again, it. outside of Donovan Mitchell, nobody on this Cavs team has really played any important like playoff minutes. That's why I wasn't happy they got rid of Kevin Love, but you know. yeah, no. Yeah, not a, you know, and Kobe Altman has not hardly put a wrong foot in the last almost two years now. I gotta say that was a move that kind of irked me, and I I just don't understand the the reasoning behind it, quite frankly. But well, as whatever. I, as I understand it, Kevin requested it. Now the Cavs didn't have to grant that request, but mm-hmm. uh, it was it was pretty obvious to him and the conversations that he had with J.B. Bickerstaff that he fell out of the rotation and, barring injury, he was not getting back into the rotation. So he came out of that discussion and said, okay, well, if you're not going to play me, then just release me so I can go play somewhere else. Which would be a very logical reaction for a player to have, yeah. quite frankly. But again, the Cavs didn't have to grant that request. <clears throat> no, they didn't. So I'm – I yeah, I – the only thing that, that sucks – and again, I – Hmm. I gotta think about how I want to word this. He went to the Miami Heat, right? Yes. The Miami Heat is a team that we could possibly see in the playoffs. Who, oh, by the way, we have to play twice in the next two weeks. Um, I don't think Kevin Love is going to be the deciding factor whether we beat or whether we beat or lose to the Heat in in a playoff series. Quite frankly, uh, 
I could easily see him falling out of the rotation in Miami because even more so than Cleveland, the Cavs play great defense, but their their culture is not completely built around it. In my, this is why I was actually kind of shocked that Miami signed Kevin Love. They must be that desperate for outside shooting. If you don't play defense in Miami, you don't play. That's how Eric Spolster has been the coach there since 2007? Long time. Seven? Six? Yeah, something like that. Six, I think? Was he the coach when they won the title? No, 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 no. no. Uh, He was not the coach then, but he came— Well, no, wait a minute. No, he was the coach during when LeBron—the LeBron years. I think he came in, like, 2008, maybe. Okay. So, uh, if it's 2008, he's been there for 15 years. I mean, that— how how many coaches spend 15 years at a stop in any sport? I mean, just off the top of my head in the NBA, I mean, Greg Popovich is. That's basically it. I can't – I mean, anyone else? I mean, no. Steve Kerr's been in the Warriors for almost, the other a, for almost a decade. Yeah. But that's not as long as Spolstra. Yeah, and you, you think about you think about other sports, you think about how – obviously Bill Belichick comes to mind, but and, and then even here – Mike Tomlin. You, Mike Tomlin, too, yeah. Um, you think about even here, uh, Terry Francona. Francona's only coming up on his 10th year here. You'd think he'd been here forever. And I say only, but 10 years. 2013, I think, was his first year as Guardians manager. <clears throat> 2013, 2014, I can't remember. But That's anyway. got to be longer than all but maybe one or two in baseball, if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Um, Dave Roberts of the Dodgers is probably getting up there. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of anybody else. Who's the manager of the Rays? Uh, Kevin that, that, Kevin Ka- Kevin Cash. He came from the Guardians. Hmm. Um, I think he was 2017 or 18. I'm surprised that they don't have somebody who's more long. Uh, the Cardinals. Trying to think of who their manager is. I don't know. Anyway, that that's a tangent we're getting on. But anyway, um, yeah, I I I'm a little frustrated by it too. Do I think Kevin Love could could help us a little bit in a spot? Yeah, but. He's not going to be the reason why we uh, fail or succeed in the playoffs. So if he wanted out, I think the Cavs said, you get you gave us nine years of service. You helped win us a title. If this is what you want, fine. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't really think this means much in the grand scheme of things, the game tonight, um, you know, other than a confidence standpoint from the Cavs. Um, but – it would be nice to win, obviously. I mean, the Cavs are still jockeying for playoff positioning. They're fourth right now. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? If the playoffs started today, we'd be playing the Knicks in the first round. That's right, because the Knicks are surging. They've, yeah. they've won six games in a row. And, in fact, on first take, either yesterday or two days ago, Stephen A. Smith was pouting off about the prospect of a Knicks-Cavaliers first-round series and his basically worst nightmare of this year would be the Cavaliers eliminating the Knicks in the first round because With Donovan Mitchell Donovan Mitchell would be knocking the Knicks out. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see it. I mean, I if we came up if we came up against the Knicks in a playoff series, I I couldn't see. I feel pretty this. confident yeah. about that because and I, there and are I other, te- say, and there I will are other say, teams right below them. I'd be much more fearful of like Miami, like Atlanta. Uh, you got Brooklyn in there too. They're not playing very well. They've yeah, carried Dover guys. I wouldn't be too concerned about Brooklyn at this point. I'm not really but. concerned with Atlanta either. They've given us fits in the regular season, but I, I, I think I think of that a lot a lot along the lines of of like like what we think about this game tonight in Boston. Like if we win tonight, 
yeah, it'll give us confidence, but it's not really going to scare the, the Celtics one iota. And I think the same thing about the Cavs. Yeah, they, they, they smack us around a little bit in the regular season, but I think in a seven-game series, I think the Cavs are just better than the Hawks top to bottom. Here, here's how we how it stands right now. The Bucks and the Celtics. Well, the Bucks are number one. Celtics are number two. They're a half game apart from Ooh, each the other. The Bucks took over number one. Seed. Yes, forty four and seventeen. Oh, Celtics wow. forty four and eighteen. Philadelphia thirty nine and twenty one. Four and a half back. Cavaliers. They, they've they've also been surging. Yeah, Sixers. Cavaliers four thirty nine and twenty five. So is Philly catchable? Maybe, possibly, but. The, the first two are clearly not. Right. Third would be the absolute best-case scenario for the Cavs. Yeah. You go down lower. Knicks, 36 and 27. They're two and a half behind the Cavs. Yeah. Nets, 34 and 27. They're three and a half behind. And then, most important spot of all, seventh, the Heat at 33 and 29 are five games down. Yeah. That's but why I, I mentioned those two games against Miami coming up. Big. You know, that, you know both of them, oddly, this those is Those are big odd, because of seeding. Because those two games are right back-to-back, but they're both in Miami. So the Cavs are actually spending three days down there. Hmm. You know, that's kind of unusual. And then after that, they then go to Charlotte, and they spend three days in Charlotte. Because they play the Hornets back-to-back twice in their building. I bet bet playing the Heat... Playing the Heat twice in a row, twice in three days, and staying down there for three days. Yeah, I bet those guys are just going to stay in their hotel rooms. See, here's here would be my mentality. If I'm going there, and I've been to Miami before, you know, a few times, my mentality would be fight like hell to win that first game. Yeah, you win that first game. I mean, you could you could literally spend night. the next two nights, next two days on the beach, and the next night on at the bars or whatever, and like you could just not even. I mean, you could have one of those games where you just don't hardly show up like they did in Philly right before the All Star break, and you still get the split. Like that would be all they would have to do. Yeah. But like you lose that first game, you better knuckle down for that second game, you because you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't want to lose both those games. And the next five Cavs games, we play we play Boston back to back. Then we have a, a weird game against Detroit, and then Miami. You have a back-to-back. game against Detroit in between those two Boston games, but yeah, it's very back to back e the rest of the way because you have the two against Miami, you got the two against Hornets. Yeah. Then later you have to play at Brooklyn two straight. Yeah. Which again, they're in sixth place right now. So these are really huge yeah, but they've been, games. They, they've been they've been start they've been starting to fall, and they traded Kyrie, they traded Kevin Durant. At, yeah, another game road game against Atlanta in there too at some yeah. point. So like these now I feel, the like, good, I feel like that game will be a little bit more paybacky for the Cavs. The good news is so some of these games are really tricky here. We're talking about you know Boston twice, Miami twice, Brooklyn twice. That's kind of scary. I mean, you do have a couple of easy games in there, like home against the Pistons, home against the Rockets. Yep. That helps. The good thing is, so, again, there's, there's, hang on, 39-25. So there's 18 games total left. If you can just get through the next 14 games, let's just say the Cavs go 7-7. Seven and seven. Yep. Let's say they just split. They could still get to 50 wins. They need 11 11- 11 and 7 the rest of the way to get to 50 wins. Their last four games of the season mm-hmm. home against Indianapolis, two on the road, right back to back against Orlando, mm-hmm. and home against Charlotte. Yeah. Those teams all stink. Yeah. You really could. If and, you just, and they're all going to be tanking. If you are still in the four spot going to those last four games, you're not falling out of it. 
Most likely not. All those teams are going to have nothing to play for. You're probably not – I mean, unless if – I don't know. Unless they just randomly decide not to play anybody in any of those games, you're probably not losing any of those games. No, I wouldn't so, think so. You just – if you can find a way to win a few of these games against Miami and Brooklyn, again, it'd be great if you could win one of these games against Boston too. But to me, those games against Miami and Brooklyn are ginormous because those teams are sixth and seventh right now. You, if you, let's say the Cavs go on a losing run and lose all those games, you're all of a sudden looking at a situation where I don't want to even think about that playing tournament again. But like that, that would be a worst case scenario where you're staring down having to win games at the very end to avoid that. Yeah, we don't want that. So let's let's take care of business and win some of these games before we get there. Yeah, for sure. So, all right. Well, uh, early returns on that Cavs-Celtics game. The Cavs are up 14-13 uh, midway through the first. Brown's so. up 14-13 on the Patriots. <laughs> <laughs> I would love well, that because I, I, it seems like the Patriots kick our ass every single time we play. <laughs> well, I'll say, I, I'll say this. Uh, the, big, um, the big thing that I was worried about with this game was an early Boston onslaught. We're pretty much out of the game before it even starts. That's what happened in Atlanta. Um, so if the Cavs can hang tough, uh, they should have a chance, uh, later. So, um, we'll monitor that. And again, this isn't a live podcast, so, uh, you probably already know the results of that game. So, uh, other things going on in Cleveland sports, spring training is underway down in Goodyear, Arizona. Actually, we are now in the same month that the regular season will be played. Yeah, the Guardians open like the last Friday in March. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Thursday, I think, actually, because because MLB does that weird thing when you start on Thursday, then you get Friday off. Oh, they give an off day after. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I've never understood that, but I don't know. Games Um, don't tend to draw as well in March as they do in the summertime, so I sort of get it. Um, so not not much not much to read into uh, with spring training. I do think it's a little bit of a. it's a little bit scary that um, three of our top prospects have gone down with injuries here in spring training. Uh, our number one prospect, uh, pitcher Daniel Espino, is being shut down with uh, something in his shoulder, which is not good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's being sh- not non-surgical, so that's good, but he's being shut down for eight weeks. So uh, I didn't think he was going to make the opening day roster anyway, so, you know. As long as he gets back and gets healthy. Um, Interestingly, just not to cut you off here, the Guardians do start the season March 31st. They start in Seattle. Seattle, there you go. Against Thank the Mariners. God we're not starting at home. Yeah, they they play their first six games of the season on the West Coast. They play three in Seattle, and they have three in Oakland. Yeah. Before they return home to play, oddly enough, Seattle again, which I don't understand that. Why yep. do they have us play games against teams from outside the division in April? They're just – I know that the weather has been strangely warm for a lot of the winter, and that seems to be a growing trend. But spring is very unpredictable here, and we had – it was it was Seattle. Like five – I don't know, it was like seven, eight years ago, we had a spring snowstorm, and we didn't play any of that series, and then we ultimately ended up having to go to Milwaukee for the next series. Wasn't that 2007? Oh, that, it might have been that long ago, actually. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, so like – why are we playing team outside the division? Like, if you're playing teams outside the division, you can reschedule those games easily. 
Well, so uh, there's a scheduling quirk with this year's schedule. We're no longer playing teams in our division 18 and 19 times anymore. Oh, really? The oh, that's the good. Severely unbalanced schedule. I do, th- I do think we're playing our uh, divisional opponents more than not, but it's not as much as in years past where we play everybody in the division 18 or 19 times. Oh, I'm so glad. I don't know exactly how much it is, um, but I do know that. And then another thing I wanted to ask you before we before we uh, end the podcast, what do you think about these uh, MLB rule changes that have been being implemented, uh, namely the pitch clock, uh, the throw over to first rule where you can only do it twice. If you do it a third time, there has to be action. Either the runner has to go or it's a balk and he gets, he gets, uh, he gets the next base anyway. Um, which is going to make which is going to make it so that there's going to be an ungodly amount of pitch outs this year. <laughs> so, and then what's interesting is for batters, once you step into the batter's box, you cannot step out. If you step out, it's a strike. Even if it's two strikes with two outs in the ninth inning, the game will be over if you step out of the box after stepping in. I'm assuming that the pitcher's not just allowed to just stand there for like 20 seconds before pitching the no, ball. No, well, no. There's a pit, there's a pitch count for pitchers. It's like 20 seconds, I think. Okay. So once they get the ball back from the catcher, the pitch clock starts. They have 20 seconds to throw a pitch, and if they don't do it in that time, it's a ball. And it doesn't matter if it's 3-2 with bases loaded in the ninth. If it's, if you don't throw the ball, then the timer runs out, you lose. Mm. So they've been testing it out in spring training. They've been doing it in the minor leagues for the last, I think, at least year or so. So all of the young players are already used to this. Yeah. This is only going to be new for the old players who haven't been in, in minor leagues for uh, in the last year or so. Um, so I the, the great part about all this is they've seen uh, games be reduced time-wise by about 45 minutes. That's incredible which is amazing that is going to do more to get people interested in baseball again than anything they have done or anything yeah. that has happened on the field they've been averaging, in the last 25 years they've been averaging getting through spring training games so far in about two hours and 20 minutes the bottom line is is that you can't go especially i'll name one team where you can't go to one of their games and have it be less than three hours and 30 minutes and it's the yankees their games are longer than anybody else's. And this is, I mean, you talk about a team that's got to adjust to this more than anybody else's, the Yankees. I mean, yeah. all they do is step out of the box on every pitch. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be very interesting. And another thing, the bases are bigger. And pe- some people would say, why are the bases bigger? I don't know. They made the bases bigger. But some people would say, why does that matter? How many times... Uh, how many times is there a play at a base where it's like that close? Oh, lots. I think, and and another thing, no sh- no more shift. I think we're going to see records broken That's for runs. That's the change scored. I'm not in favor of. I love all the timing rule changes, like the pitch clock and the not being able to step out of the box and, and all of that. I think it keeps the game moving. That's something that they've struggled with for an extremely long amount of time, particularly in the postseason because – Games, you know, it's nip and tuck, and the game can swing on any one play. So players are more deliberate; they they think about it a lot more. You know, I, I sort of, I mean, yeah, I get it, obviously. But the shift going away really, frankly, it pisses me off. That takes a lot of the strategy out of the game. Yeah, and 
honestly, it I, was not something they had to do. Like, so well, here's well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Hitters need to stop being lazy and just want to pull pull a ball every time and hit a home run every time they're up to the plate, and and realize if the defense is giving you the whole other side of the field, just freaking hit it over there. Hit it over there, right? It's unbelievable. I will say the part of the shift the part of the shift that I don't like is an infielder being able to play in like shallow outfield. If you want to put three infielders on one side of the diamond, fine, but they all got to at least have their heels uh on the dirt. Yeah. yeah. They got to have something on the dirt. They can't, you can't have you can't have uh, a right fielder that's playing almost to the warning track and then your second baseman or shortstop playing is playing in short playing right. middle right field and then you have your second base. It's like three people in line. It's it it makes it's impossible to get a hit over there. Yeah. So I think so I think what you're gonna see is you're gonna see yeah there's no more shift but you're gonna see a lot of times where the the shortstop is essentially lined up behind second base. Uh, well, yeah, as far or as he's just allowed to. right. Yes. Right. So yeah, there. So I do think there's still going to be shifts in baseball. I just don't think they're gonna be as egregious. Which. Whatever. I, I think the players need it, to stop being lazy. And, it is going to be interesting. They need to, to see learn how to hit the that, ball to the opposite field. To see if that sticks. Yeah. Or if there's just so much complaining amongst well, players I, and managers that they eventually bring it back. Well, I, here's what I, I here's I what I will say. Here's what I will say. I think we're going to see batting averages go way up. Yes. Um because guys are just gonna be able to get hits than they otherwise wouldn't be. You're gonna see a lot more intentional walks. On certain players, Probably. in certain situations, yeah, and you're gonna see because they can't play the shift, and you're gonna, yeah, and you're gonna see a lot more pitch outs because of that uh, throw order first rule, where you can only do it twice. Mm-hmm. So it's gonna be interesting. The first few weeks are going to be very interesting in baseball with all these rule changes. Obviously, I think by like September, October, when we're gearing up for the playoffs, I think we're all gonna be used to it by that point. Yeah, but the first month of the season is going to be interesting. Um, and I these... will say, most of these I like. And I know it's very easy to pile on Rob Manfred, but if these work, and I have no reason to believe that they wouldn't unless the players just, after a month, just completely revolt on them, kind of like what the NBA players did when they, try, when they tried to institute that new, like, synthetic basketball. And the yeah. completely oh. revolted on that, and by, by midseason, they went back they to went the old ball. They went back to the old ball. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually think these are going to be great for baseball. Now, namely, namely, people aren't going to be bitching and complaining about games taking three and a half, four hours long. The bottom line is, if you look at all the sports, yeah, at least in the United States and to a lesser extent the world stage, yeah, the sports that are doing really well, yep. relative to previous, yep. basketball and soccer especially, what do they have in common? They take like two or two and a half hours max. The st- the sport you know football has has well, particularly the NFL is you know is king and still will be for a while. It's that's kind of like the the Amazon or the you know name your you know top stock. You know it's just always going to be there. But I would say I would argue that the NFL is doing better than college football is because other than the very top of top programs. You don't. They have all these challenges and all these. You know, whenever there's a targeting call, there's like a five minute review, and you know, so it seems like there's a lot more stop. And they stop the clock on first downs. Seems like there's the college games last longer than the NFL. And you know, I used to back when we were in college at Bowling Green, I would always decry the other students who would go to a game 
and they would be gone after the band performed at halftime because they just—I don't know—they just didn't. There weren't enough fans, or they just didn't have the attention span for the entire game. Well, games in college are like three and a half, four hours on average now. Like yeah. that's a really hard sell. Well, there's the, so you know? there are rumblings that college football is going to do away with stopping the clock after every first down. They need to do that, and they need to do more. Frankly, yeah, I mean, it's it's bad. Um, and baseball, of course, as we've already talked about. I mean, I, I'll say, li- listen, how great is it going to be to go to a Guardians game on a Tuesday night when it's seventy-eight degrees out? You get to the ballpark, the 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 game is, uh, the first pitch is at seven oh seven, and you're out of there by nine thirty. Or even better, we, we, like in the spring, they don't even start games. At, they start them at 6 Six, week, yeah, I cause, believe. Yeah, because when kids are still in school, they like to start them at 6 so the kids, so uh, parents can actually bring their kids to and school and get them back for a uh, reasonable bedtime. That and a lot of the downtown crowd, you know, they can just go directly from right their from workplace work. to the game. Yeah. yeah Very so true. There's there's a lot good about what's, what's going on. Again, I, I don't think this is hyperbole. I think this really will get people interested in baseball again. If you get the game times down to like two and a half hours, that oh, window yeah. where it's like the NBA basically, yeah. you're going to be – they're going to be sitting pretty. Yeah. They uh, really are. I completely agree. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I uh, We're in agreement that this is going to be good for baseball for the most part. Um Except for maybe the the shift, but we'll see. Oddly enough, the shift actually getting rid of the shift actually runs counter to that goal because it's going to cause yeah. more, more hits, offense, more yeah. scoring. More, it's going to cause games to go longer. Actually, yeah. So maybe it's a maybe it's a counterbalance. Yeah. So um, yeah, and then not really much to talk about with the Browns. The NFL scouting combine is going on as we speak. The last couple of days, I think it ends tomorrow. We have a new special teams coordinator. Oh, former Browns. Uh, Special team stat standout Ray Bubba Ventrone uh, is our new special teams coordinator. He comes from the Indianapolis Colts, where they didn't do much well last year over there in Indianapolis, but their special teams was rated fifth in they, the end. They the did NFL. worse than we did, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so excited for that. Um, but, yeah, we don't have a first-round pick, so paying attention to the combine is kind of meh. Uh no draft capital. Uh, Andrew Barry and uh, Kevin Stefanski and assistant GM Catherine, uh, I think her name is Rachie, I think her last name is, um, all spoke this week at Indianapolis. Uh, didn't really give too much. Um, Andrew Barry gave some information, but it was kind of stuff we already knew. Like the, the, They're going to try and restructure Deshaun Watts' contract this year uh, to free up some cap space. Uh, the team is going to release safety John Johnson. Uh, as a post-June f- 1st designation. So uh, while they are releasing him, they're not going to be able to use his cap space uh, when free agency starts. Um, his cap space will be freed up uh, post-June 1st. And that was just to be able to free up as much cap space as possible. If they did it now, they wouldn't. They I don't think they would be, get even half of the salary cap relief as they will if they did it June 1st. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. Uh, to close this thing out, right. uh, I just want to tell you about a, a video I watched the other day. Okay. It was the, the 12 teams in the NFL that have never won a Super Bowl. Oh, great. And who is most likely to lift the Lombardi Trophy next out of that group? Okay. The Kev- uh, Cavs. The Browns were rated sixth most likely in this video. Out of 12. Out of 12. Hmm. 
the five teams that were in front of them were Jacksonville, mm-hmm. Detroit, Buffalo, Cincinnati, and L.A. Chargers. Okay. Which, and since of these, Buffalo was actually, this person who did this actually had Buffalo first over Cincinnati, which I found interesting. But, uh, hmm. and then he had Detroit third, which I think is actually kind of deserved depending on how you feel. You know, Detroit and Jacksonville are kind of in that same boat, actually. Yeah. With how they finished uh, last Detroit, year. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they're yeah. both flavor of the month, but the, both of those organizations could easily go 4-13 and 13 next year. Interestingly, the Browns were ahead of two teams that they could have been behind, uh, depending on your opinion, the Minnesota Vikings and the Tennessee Titans. And then the other teams, mm, the yeah. Browns, I think, are clearly ahead at this point. The Houston Texans, the Atlanta Falcons, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, no, no arguments there. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> based on what happened last year, I think the Browns are pretty much where they should be in that pecking order. Um, like you said, with Detroit and Jacksonville, how they finished the season. But again, those are two uh, predominantly garbage teams. So True. They could, you know, they question would be, can they sustain what they've got going? Yeah, I think it's I think it's way more likely that Jacksonville does, interestingly enough, because they have the quarterback and they have an established Super Bowl coach. Yeah, Um, true. True. That's I mean, that's one A and one B, really. I like the Lions, you know, as much as much as people don't like to give Jared Goff credit, he has made it to a Super Bowl. He did play well last year. And then, you know, Dan Campbell is. Uh, he's done a pretty good job with Detroit. I mean, we'll see if they can keep it going. And then the Browns are the Browns are a team that's just kind of wallowed the the last like two years after after doing essentially what Jacksonville did this past year back in 2020. The Browns are a team. Are they going to go seven and ten again, or are they somebody that's going to win eleven to twelve games next year? Who the hell knows? Who knows? Their schedule. It's- their schedule is pretty favorable if you look at it now we don't know we don't know yet when the the browns are playing these teams um but i don't think their schedule is too too tough um so yeah i don't know we'll see you know i don't think the because like the last two years the browns have been eight nine seven ten just kind of mediocre ish yeah i don't think this is going to be a mediocre ish season I think this is either going to be really good and the Browns are going to be in the postseason, or it's going to be really bad. They're going to be way out of contention, and Kevin Stefanski is going to be fired. I don't know which one it's going to be, yeah. but I think this is well, going to be well. It's going to be either stock up or stock down. Well, I, I think Kevin Stefanski is gone if they go eight and nine or seven and ten. I would agree with that. Yes. They have to. They have they, to be in the postseason. They have to make the playoffs this year. If it's nine and eight and they and they make the playoffs, fine. But if they go seven and ten or eight and nine and they don't make the playoffs again, he's gone. It's not good enough. Quite frankly, if they start something like two and five, I think he's gone by midseason. He could be, yeah, right. It could be just like Hugh Jackson circa two thousand. So was it eighteen? Yeah. And then uh, one last thing, I really don't want to get it. I'm not going to get into it too much, just because we're going to be talking about this probably for the next couple of years before it becomes official. The Browns are looking to build a new stadium. Um, the lease with the city and the stadium is up in 2028. So I would fully expect that a new stadium, wherever it's going to be built, will be built by by the end of 2028. There's... So if that's the case, there has to be an official announcement with a site picked out probably within the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. 
because especially if they're going to put a, a retractable roof on a state, which they, they, they cannot build a new stadium without a roof. Oh, no, they're, they're, it's, it's going to be an indoor facility this time. So anyway, a retra- I would like to see a retractable roof. I, I still do think we should have games from September to late October that are outside. Um, but once you get into, like, late November and December, you just it's, – I mean, we saw what the New Orleans – listen, I, this is the last thing I'll say before we end the episode. This thought that the elements and the weather is supposed to be an advantage for the Cleveland Browns, we lost to the New Orleans Saints at home in negative 30-degree weather. A team that plays literally in the Gulf of Mexico in a dome, in a and dome. they came up and kicked our ass. And a team that wasn't even good. <laughs> So don't tell me about, I want to play outside in the snow. Get the hell out of here. I want a friggin' WrestleMania in Cleveland. And the only way that's happening is if we put a dome on a new stadium or a retractable roof. How about a Final Four? How about a... SummerSlam isn't at Ford Field this year. Mm. We can get SummerSlam, WrestleMania, Final Four, uh, all these uh, concerts all throughout the year. Um... They have two concerts at that stadium every year. Two, you could get like twenty with a with a dome. Stadium. The whole period from January through August, yeah, you could have stuff. I mean, hell, you might even be able to do different conventions, different, you know, all this sort of stuff. You're gonna get all of it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the NFL is talking about taking the combine out of Indianapolis and moving that around the NFL. You could get that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, it's going to happen. It's going to be announced. And I thought it was I thought it was very interesting that all the news broke about the Haslam's in the city fighting over uh fighting over a new stadium and where it's gonna go the day that it was announced that the Haslam's uh bought the uh shares of the Milwaukee Bucks. It just makes you wonder who's on whose side, who's well, the Pro city Haslam, who's anti Haslam. Well, yeah, the it's, city it's, it's, obviously leaked that stuff because they you know what the you know what their angle is? Their angle is going to be when the Haslams say they want a new stadium and they want public funds, the city is going to be you had all the funds you needed. You didn't have to buy the eight hundred and seventy five million dollars worth of the Milwaukee Bucks. And there's no doubt that Mayor Bibbs administration is gonna to go to that card. No doubt about it. But as we see you know, you look at what happened in Buffalo. You look at what happened in Tennessee this past year. Essentially, these stadiums are becoming half and half. The team will put up half, and the city will put up half. So we'll see where it goes. I mean, the Buffalo Bills got like $850 million in public funds for their new stadium. And they're not even putting a dome on it. And they're not even building it in Buffalo either, are they? No, our Orchard Park, I think, it's staying. That's so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you look at, at least, ten, you at look at Nashville. They're building theirs downtown. I mean, yeah, you look geez. at you look at Tennessee. They're getting the same amount of money. I think Minnesota did. And by the way, the Haslam's hired the same firm that designed the Minnesota Viking Stadium, which is that awesome is awesome because U.S. Bank is Field awesome. is awesome, fantastic. It's a purple palace of football. Yeah, incredibleness. Yeah. So. Anyway, we're going to talk a lot about that over the next 12 months as as uh, information continues to leak out. I, I know I've been talking in our uh, group ch- group chat for the last, like, six to nine months that, hey, it's coming. And Anthony is the most vocal opponent of that, saying, like, oh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. It's coming. I mean, what do you think? Th- what do you think? The, the lease is up in 2028. It's coming. Stadium will be 30 years old, and I know st- – 
there's a lot of stadiums out there Cleveland that are Browns, older than that. Cleveland Browns, like, Cleveland Browns Stadium is the tenth oldest stadium in the NFL, and people people feel like it was built like just yesterday. That's actually kind of surprising. That means that there's you only nine te- there's only nine teams in the league yeah. that have stadiums that are older than 23 years and, old. And and uh, one of them in Buffalo is already confirmed to get a new stadium. That's one. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Nissan Stadium in Nashville was built around the same time. I think it was think. just after. I could be mm. wrong on that. Mm. Yeah, um, I think so, because I think it opened in 2000. I don't know if that list includes stadiums that had just major renovations, because you look at something like Soldier Field. Soldier Field has been around for 100 years. Right, but effectively, like, it, it was completely new, rebuilt right. from the last time. And they're another, they're another team that's that's looking to build a new stadium. Um, Why? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of Lambeau Field. Obviously, Lambo went went extremely a rebuilt as well. Right, so yes. so I don't know if that that nine stadiums that are older than Cleveland Brown stadiums include major renovations. Probably not. Yeah, you look at uh, Miami; that stadium's older, totally but total redeveloped from before. Right. Oh my God, it looks totally different. Uh, Jacksonville's new stadium is older, I believe. Yeah. Yes, it would be ninety-five. Yeah, um, that was also renovated. We didn't uh, do a lot of significant renovating nah, on that one compared to some of the others. No, so. So anyway, uh, we're going to talk a lot about a lot more about that over the next like twelve months because more, more concrete plans and information is bound to come out. Probably, I would guess before the season starts. I would not be shocked if a full agreement and announcement was made between the Haslam's and the city before the season started. The Browns are. Gonna just wait a few years to start building, and hopefully the inflation rate won't be what it is now. Oh, good God! <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to at least wait till twenty twenty four. That's what, that's what I figure. Anyway, well, that's gonna do it for us on this episode of Living Off the Land, episode two forty nine. Two fifty is coming at you next week, uh, and uh, we will catch you guys then. So um, you can follow us on social media at Stiffs McGee at Daniel J Ford, and you can follow the podcast at the LOTL Podcast. Appreciate you guys listening and following us, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. See ya. Bye.